The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. A little different format for today's Hollinger and Duncan NBA show. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. Just search Hollinger in your favorite podcast player. And, of course, reviews are more importantly even telling your friends in person or shares on social media are always very much appreciated. So what we're going to do today is take a look at our assessments of the league's organizations. We're No way we're going to get through all 30 of them today. So we're going to start from the top and... Probably do the bad teams, which we know all, all of you are much more interested in uh, next week. So, John, where I want to start, though, is what are the criteria that you're looking at to assess how good these organizations are? And to be clear, that means not just ownership. It's basically everything in management, front office, medical staff, etc., except the coach is what we're doing here. So what criteria are you looking at uh, that really stand out to you? Well, uh, I, you know, as, as I evaluated and made my list, I looked at a couple things. Um, stability, extent of track record. Uh, there's some organizations that have done some good stuff, but just haven't been together that long. And it yeah. was hard for me to rate them super high because of that. Um, uh, winning, certainly. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that matters. <laughs> but it, it, here's the context I looked at it in. Getting a team from rebuild to decent is one thing. And the the league is sort of stacked in favor of you being able to do that. But get being able to get a team to that next step where they're a perennial playoff team or you're a perennial c- contender, I think is much more difficult. And and uh, I, I weighted that accomplishment accordingly uh, when I when I set this up. Just, uh, just don't tell Sacramento and Knicks fans that the league is stacked in favor of getting from rebuilding to mediocrity. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I've, that's the next podcast. I, well, you I, have I to have ahead a, of myself. Here. You have to have a pick first. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, we looked at, um, you know, a, a lot of these factors. You know, you look at the, you know, there's some subtle things. I think uh, from being on the inside, just knowing uh, how much does ownership have their hand in the pie, and what is what is the state of the their. Uh, you know, how modern is their medical and uh, training staff and things of that nature? Uh, scouting, uh, you know, ability to find players that other teams can't uh, on on the margins. Again, uh, being on the inside, you really could see how some teams worked the margins more effectively than the others. Yeah. So that, the, the, that was a thing that counted for me as well. Yeah, there's a, a separation sometimes between process and results. 
with some of these organizations, right? Like the Lakers, hey, they're a championship contender this year. You go and look at their process, and eh, maybe it's not that good. And when you say process, too, that can be process internally of just do they have the right people in place? Are the resources being directed to the proper areas? How much of it is just seat of your pants ownership meddling to make decisions? But then also of just what actually the results of all of that are, whether it's health, whether it's transactions. Uh, a few things that I'm going to look at specifically as we go through these teams. Draft record, how they do on free agency, both big ticket free agents, luring free agents. Uh, how they do on the margins in free agency, getting guys out of the G League or uh, finding undervalued assets. Uh Certainly player development, that goes hand-in-hand hand with draft, of course. Cap management, that's huge also even on the margins and also of just keeping your books clean if you're an organization and not getting too many bad contracts. And then all the miscellaneous stuff you talked about as well, medical, coaching hires, analytics, how they do in trades obviously is huge as well. So it's really, this is going to be a relatively all-encompassing look and don't know how many teams we're going to get through here in part one. It may take us a while, uh, but we want to give you a, a thorough look. So, uh, And we'll probably try to focus on some of the teams that uh, John and I disagree on. One thing I wanted to ask you before we start, though, is how much weight do you put on an organization's draft record when you're trying to assess them? I actually don't weigh it super heavily just because the draft is a little bit of a crapshoot by nature and we're looking at relatively small samples when we evaluate almost anyone on the draft, unless you're talking about San Antonio where there's a 20-year history with the same <laughs> people. Um, they've obviously done a great job. But it's it's hard for me to get too deep in the weeds and make that the centerpiece of it. I mean, it's definitely it, – it matters, right? It's it's a it's – a, major element in team yeah. building it, it, it might matter more than anything else even yeah finding the right players in the draft there, there's such an element of of random to randomness to it and even people on the inside will admit that if you give them truth serum so i uh, it's it's hard it like i said it it matters but i think some other things are more reliable indicators of who knows what they're doing and you'd want operating your franchise yeah and that's really what it comes down to here we have these track records but we're almost trying to predict who's going to do the best job in the future here. If I was a fan mm -hmm. of a random team, which organization would I want running my team from ownership on down? I agree with you on the on the draft. Not only is it a crapshoot in theory, you know, I think a, a lot of study in football probably more than basketball, but a, a lot of studies that have shown this now, and maybe as you're higher in the draft, that's less the case. But also just the sample sizes are so small. I mean, you, even if you want to look at the Spurs, you want to say they drafted 30 relevant players between first and second round draft picks. Is that enough to say, yes, this team knows what they're doing better than everyone else? I mean, maybe. Would you want to judge a player on 30 shot attempts from the field? You know, it's there is a process behind it. Player development obviously plays a huge role, too, in whether draft picks, quote unquote, work out or not. So... I am going to weight it some, maybe more than you, but to me, I think where I'm really going to downgrade teams is when they drafted someone that you kind of were just like, man, this guy doesn't fit in the modern NBA. Like he's not just, even if he works out in the sense of like his skill set is what you thought it was going to become, 
that skill set just isn't even that valuable. You know, your Caleb Swanigan type draft picks, <laughs> um, you, you know, where you're thinking, yeah. uh, and obviously some of this is subjective, right? Like I do my own draft evaluations. I'm mm-hmm. not, I don't spend as much time on it as front offices do. But if I thought, hey, man, this guy was terrible at the time, and then he turns out to be terrible, and I'm like, hey, you could have seen that in advance. You know, I, I, I can't help but downgrade them in that situation. Sure, absolutely. All right, well, let's. we're going to put these teams into tiers. We may not rank them necessarily within the tiers, but your highest tier of teams, give me your X number of teams in the highest. Tier. I had three teams in my top tier. Oh shit. So did I. Yeah. We, oh, by the way, we did not t- tell each other who we're going to be doing, uh, in these tiers. So I'm really interested to see if you have the same three as I do. Uh, yes. Yeah, so my three teams in tier one, Toronto Raptors, the defending champions. I've got them. Uh, Los Angeles Clippers. I've got them. San Antonio Spurs. Ah, here, here is where we differ. I have the Boston Celtics. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. And it, it was, was Boston in your next tier down? Boston was you... in my, Boston was in my next tier. Um, yeah. I had them, uh, and we, we can go into this a little bit. Um, Boston had probably of the teams I had in the next tier, they probably had the strongest argument to be in the top tier. So I'm not sure we're disagreeing by much. No. Just, how can you leave San Antonio out of your top all right, tier? All right, here, what what here more do they have to do? Uh, do a better job over the last three or four years. Okay. Uh, okay. So, and I think particularly, I I don't know the inner workings of their organization that well, but there's been reporting recently that Brian Wright, who came over from the Pistons, has had a much greater role mm-hmm. since 2016. And coincidentally, that to me has coincided. Well, that's what coincidentally means, you moron. Uh, but <laughs> uh, that has coincided with them taking a little bit of a different turn where I don't think they necessarily are on that genius level anymore. I think the DeRozan trade, their priorities and what they're trying to do for uh, that Kawhi trade to get him not get really any young pieces of note. They got the 29 overall pick and uh, Jakob Pertl, or as the Warriors PA announcer calls him, uh, Jacob Patel. Uh, but that trade in itself, I thought, just hasn't shown much vision. I think they have been the Pau Gasol contract, I thought, you know, summer of 2016 was something that That, that really, was a mistake. I agree with you yeah, on that. Yeah. Really hamstring the organization. Just their overall lack of modernity even then even though they were a good offense last year just not emphasizing the three-point shot that much yet yeah, it, it worked and they have personnel that's kind of like that but I, I, there's just there's a lot of things that they might be a little bit behind the curve in some aspects here in the last few years obviously up until about 2015 2016 or so impeccable yeah um i i still see uh top notch in terms of uh, stability, uh, ownership staying out of the way, um, player development. I think they're still as good as anyone. W- yeah, with that's that. actually gotten better over the last few years. I thought that they they got a lot of credit for Kawhi, and then they had a bunch of misses, in part maybe due to injuries, uh, and you know weren't able to develop these guys' shots. But now Dejounte Murray, Derek White, uh, you know those those guys are, are upping them again there for me. And I mean, if you I don't know if you saw Dejounte Murray at Washington, he did not care at all about defense. And they turned him into a terror. I, I was really impressed by that. Uh, yeah, common theme for Washington point guards of that era. Well, uh, yeah, Seattle Seattle guard disease. Yeah, uh, no, all those all those guys <laughs> guards from from there. 
Uh, you know, is, that, is that actually something that people talk about? Seattle guard disease? Uh, it's a it's a term I invented in my, in my time in Memphis that I never got to share publicly. So, <laughs> apologies it to Kevin Pelton, true. who I know will who I know will be angered by my statement. But well, I mean, Markel Fultz and Dejounte Murray have taken uh, big advances so far defensively, so that may be an outdated term at this point. Yeah, uh, and uh, let's see, we don't have Jamal Crawford in the league anymore either, so. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe a new era. We'll see. Maybe Seattle guard disease is now Matisse Tybel, you know, getting 11 oh, yeah. stocks while going 0 for 5 from the field with four turnovers. That's the new, <laughs> is that the new Seattle guard disease? We'll see. Uh, so I, do you see my point here though, of like, like being a little worried? And a little, they they're at a, li- they're too. at a, they are at a crossroads. I, I think yeah. it's very clear. Um, and watching them last night in Atlanta, you, you could see it. They still want to have that identity of like being a low post team and playing through LaMarcus. And, but LaMarcus just isn't like, he's just not that good anymore. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how yeah. else to put it. And, uh, they definitely, they don't shoot, they have shooters, but they don't shoot enough threes. Uh, I thought the g- giving away Bertans was a mistake. Uh, even if they had gotten Marcus Morris, I didn't think he really fit with what they already had there. So you can you can definitely see some warts here if you look hard enough. I, I just think big picture, it's still an elite organization, and they they're still in an amazing position to recover from. We're talking about like they're in this awful position, like they still might make the playoffs. But uh, yeah. they they have a lot of good young players. They have their picks. They have a pretty clean cap sheet going forward. They're they're still in a great position. I just you're you're correct that they probably should have hit rewind on this a little bit earlier than they did. Yeah, and I worry a little bit with Greg Popovich at the age that he is. Now, certainly with his service to the organization, he deserves to have a reasonable team around him. But it does seem like they the time to hit rewind was with the Kawhi trade. I thought they even if they were trying to get better to not get Ananobi or Siakam in that trade to me, that was mm-hmm. really a pretty bad as well to put the value on DeRozan, who to me hasn't even really helped them that much, frankly, over the last couple of years. Um, it's really been their bench that's driven them to be good uh, in the DeRozan era. Yeah. So to put the premium on DeRozan as opposed to getting some other assets, mm-hmm. uh, I, you've noted this, that they basically never make trades um, in, other in, than in when se- they had a gun to their season, head. In season, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I just worry that there's like a little bit of a lack of vision here, and I don't know how they're going to go forward. They don't have a future superstar on this roster, not that they necessarily should. It seemed to me also like the organization was really kind of scarred by missing out on Chris Paul in the summer of 2017, and that they then really have doubled down on a lot of uh, players. Like, you know, they extended LaMarcus, and now they just uh, moved his guarantee date up. They're probably going to have him again for next yeah. year. They really are almost made the decision, well, we missed out in free agency this one time, and so now we're just not even going to bother with that anymore. We're just going to not prize flexibility. And, you know, that could be overrated, but sometimes, especially for a smart organization, you can find some pieces that way. Yeah, yeah. The LaMarcus thing was a little weird because, I, you know, I think even watching last night, you're kind of like, wow, it'd be nice to have that flexibility. Uh, but uh, I, I'm sure they looked at it and th- – Part of the thought process was that th- this is not a banner free agent crop next year, sure. Uh, and so, it, so maybe it wasn't hurting them that much to to do that. It was still it was still an, an unusual unusual almost unprecedented uh, gesture to do that. Yeah, I think Clippers did it with Lou Williams, but it's easier to do that with eight million than like twenty five million. Um, 
All right, let's take a quick break here. We'll talk a little bit about Boston in a sec. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store what's up sports fans matt peck here host of locked on bulls and i want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast huge fan is a new sirius xm original podcast where stars talk sports Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. So, Boston, I don't think we have that big of a difference on them. Uh, To me, I think they might make the best trades in the league. Overall, I think that, I mean, going, there aren't as many organizations that are just going to make really bad trades anymore the way there were, you know, like that Nets trade, Mm -hmm. for example. But I think, I mean, they, they've won basically every trade that they've done pretty well. Uh, I mean, maybe you could say they should have been more aggressive at times in trading assets. I'm sorry. Courtney Lee. (laughs) Courtney Lee to the Grizzlies. Yeah, no, that's Jared true. Bayless. Courtney Lee was underrated at that And point. we got but, a second out of that, too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what was that? That was 2014, right? That was so 2014, like the, yeah. yeah. So that we're getting was into ancient history year. here. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just pumping myself up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not going to mention that other trade we made yeah, with Boston. Right. <laughs> oh, by the way, we're not going to talk about Memphis at all in this because uh, that just uh, – Yeah, still yeah the, those that. of you who are hoping I'd talk shit about the Grizzlies are going to be disappointed. So uh, Nate's yeah. going to put them in a tier and we'll just leave it at that. Um, So – what is missing for Boston for, to be in that top tier to you? I So my tier two is a bunch of very solid organizations who just haven't quite done enough to me to warrant being in tier one, I guess. Yeah. And Boston to me fits that description. Uh, tremendous stability, uh, owners, ownership's out of the way. Uh, very uh very s- small front office uh unusually they don't they they're not th- uh throwing the resources at things that maybe the raptors and clippers are uh yeah. but but it but it works it's functional and uh like you said they make great trades and the one the trade we didn't mention obviously was the Tatum trade uh with uh with Philadelphia oh yeah which which worked I, out I mean Isaiah Thomas was an absolute fleece I mean, like you, yeah everyone knows their record 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you got to give them a lot of credit on that front. I think, um, you know, we talk about the draft. I think their draft record has only been okay. Um, uh, you know, t- the Tatum worked out great, obviously. Uh, some of their other picks have not. So um, maybe a little bit of a demerit there. A uh, lot of stability in terms of, you know, straight on down the line. The Stevens hire was was an inspired choice, uh, you know, taking a guy out of a, a mid-major college program and making him an NBA coach. With the track record at that time of college to pro transitions, uh, I thought that took some major cojones and it worked out spectacularly well. I think they've also done some good stuff on the margins, finding guys from overseas who can contribute like Brad Wanamaker is in their rotation. Daniel Tice is in their rotation. We'll see what happens to Poirier, but I think he has a a little bit of promise uh, at least. Um, I'm, I think, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a Poirier fan. Uh, he yeah. might be he might be a little light is the only thing, but he's yeah. he's bouncy. He can rim run and block shots. I'm surprised he hasn't gotten more of a chance so far this year. Yeah, uh, with Cantor out, um, I do think their I mean their overall vision I think is pretty good. Uh, they also transformed it into a free agent destination, which everyone was like, oh, they can't get free agents. Well, when you don't have cat space for 20 years, it's kind of hard to do that. But it, they certainly got players to come there, made themselves into a, an elite destination. You know, they, they also, they do have a little bit of a laissez-faire approach, I think, in the locker room. And maybe that contributed to some issues with, uh, with Kyrie Irving. I also, uh, don't think that they're like at the forefront on analytics, which is surprising. I think some people think of them that way and they have people who think analytically, but in terms of just having the horsepower there and really having uh, a, b- a lot of people crunching numbers, I don't know that they have they that. Do, they don't, but I do think it's more integrated than some other organizations yeah. in terms of what they have actually gets paid more attention to than maybe some other places. Um, yeah. And that's true. I mean, Brad has his own guy too. Um that he brought from Butler, so I, I do I do think they pay they pay maybe a little more a little bit more attention to what they have, even if they're not throwing massive resources at it the way a couple other teams are. Um, and their owner is I think is willing to spend. I mean, maybe not you know more than fifteen million above the tax, but that's a lot more than many owners are willing to spend. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we have too much of an argument on them. I, I think they have a pretty good track record as well. I mean, I think that's the one thing that you might argue about with the Clippers is, hey, they've only really been doing this for two or three years. Yeah. yeah. I think they've been I've doing just a been, great job. I've just been so impressed with what the Clippers have done since the transition. Yeah. Uh, so you're you're correct. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe there's not enough of a track record there. Maybe I overreached, but I, I've been really impressed by what they've done. Yeah. Well, well, if you did overreach, I agreed with you in, in overreaching. And then uh, Toronto, too, I mean, I think they're at the forefront in terms of medical staff. Musai Ujiri has vision. They're willing to spend. Alex uh, McKechnie I mean, is generally regarded as the best medical guy in the league who they just yeah. re-signed. Uh, he was going to be a free agent after the year, and I guarantee like 15 teams were going to go after him uh, if his contract had expired. So that was a very important, uh, underrated uh, move there for Toronto. Yeah, and Toronto being able to find contributors late in the draft as well, develop them. I mean, I think there, it really would be hard-pressed to find uh, anything. I mean, even making the tough decisions, right? Like moving on from Dwayne Casey for Nick Nurse. Huge outcry there, but that Well, the DeRozan trade, the right too. Way. I mean, that took – there's yeah. a lot of organizations where just there would not be uh, the, the ability to create the internal momentum to think like that, uh, you know, with whatever obstacles there were from from – ownership to coach or whatever and and they uh they overcame that and made a great deal for themselves yeah and 
you never hear Larry Tannenbaum's name either, which is, you know, the, I think the, the way a lot That's of basketball ops yeah. people would like it. Yeah. yeah. So here's my next tier, and, and I want to see how you match up with me here. Okay. I, I kind of made these as the organizations with really good track records, but that maybe, you know, kind of what have you done for me lately? And those okay. are four teams. Okay. San Antonio I have, was one of those I have, we talked I have about. six teams in my next tier, so this will be interesting. Okay. San Antonio was one of them. We talked about them. Mm-hmm. My other three are Houston, Miami, and Golden State. Wow. Okay. I had Houston and Golden State not in that tier. and uh, I think that might be defensible. We'll talk about that. And I barely included Miami. Yeah. So the who teams, else Who else? The you got teams there? I had in my next tier were Boston, as we discussed. Four, so there's four teams I had in my next tier that you didn't. Okay. Uh, all in like the very solid, very stable, just haven't quite blown me away maybe. Yeah. Uh, Jazz, Nuggets, Blazers, Pacers. Okay. Nuggets, I have a lot lower than you do. And so do, wow. and I do Pacers as well. Okay. Okay. So uh, Nuggets to me are one of the hardest to rank. I certainly understand why you have them high because their scouting, their development has been really, really good. Um, I think they have hit on some trades and then they've really missed on some trades as well. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, and I think ownership really, really holds them back. I do not believe, oh, sorry, cat, cat just jostled the mic here. Uh, I do not believe Carl Towns that, is there. What'd you say? Carl Towns is there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my cat's name is three, by the way, for people who don't listen to dunk on there, uh, that three and six are my, my two cats names. Uh, so the story behind that will have to wait. Maybe that'll be our little Easter egg here. Um, okay. So back to Denver. I do not believe that their ownership will pay the tax under any circumstances. I given, agree, I agree with you on that. And I mean the the public bullshitting about uh, oh we can't pay the tax because of the repeater tax. I mean it, not only like for some organizations it's theoretical. They've actually like given up first round draft picks to avoid the tax. Yes. Uh, and especially when they're this good at drafting, I think that really hurts. I I agree with that. Yes. Yes. They don't have a G League team. That's, no, that's they've uh, they've they've had some obstacles to that that yeah. weren't entirely their own fault. Um, okay. And they've done an amazing job. Denver and Portland have done an amazing job of developing players without one. Uh, yeah. So I don't know how much I can ding them uh, for that. Um, yeah. No, that's reasonable. But also an indication of. Uh, maybe a lack of organizational commitment there. Uh, you know, they let Messiah Jiri get away over money. I mean, granted they found Tim Conley and he's done a pretty decent job, but yeah, I guess I'm, I'm rating the, the Conley uh, era here and, and yeah. not, not thinking about that, that part. Yeah. And they did, that, I mean, yeah. they have paid to, to keep Tim and Arturis there. So they're, they're at least willing to pay at some level to keep their organizational talent. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be uh Interesting here. I mean, Mike Malone is developing an increasingly strong reputation as a coach. I mean, they've been stable in that respect, too. You know, the year they didn't make the playoffs two years ago, they could have ranted and raved and decided to get rid of the coach, and they didn't. Uh, so I, I I, just think it's – it's when, it, when I when I watch them and interact with them, like they're, they're – you just feel like they're an organization that's doing the right things on a, on a day-to-day – small level and setting setting themselves up to succeed even if they're not willing to spend a ton of money uh so that that's why i had them in tier two yeah and and like i said i i totally understand that viewpoint Uh, i think the fact that so many of 
the things that they mess up are avoidable it really bothers me. I think the other thing that they do is they just overpay their own guys and maybe they overvalue culture setting just a little bit too much. And I understand that viewpoint, but Hey, you know, Toronto and the Clippers win plenty and yeah, they value establishing a culture, but they're also just not going to overpay guys for the sake of setting a culture. And I think, right. you know, with Plumlee, you talk about Plumlee, Fareed, Barton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, uh, Jamal Murray is probably going to fall into that category too. You would guess. I was so. surprised he got a max right out of the shoot like that. Yeah. I mean, he was going to get exactly paid this summer. Out. He was going to get a big number if you look at the other numbers that are out there for, for this class. So they were going to have to pay at some point. I'm just surprised that they went all the way to the wall like that and, and pretty early. Yeah. I mean, Pascal Siakam is way better than him. And Toronto, at least, like tried to negotiate a little bit there. Um so that's how I feel about them. I, I totally understand that. And I think this year is going to be interesting, right? If they win 48 games this year and they're kind of just stuck in the mud a little bit, they're not going to pay the tax. And 12 of the last 15 champions have paid the tax. You really want to get into that rarefied air. So they have a lot of advantages, but I think some underrated disadvantages as well. That, And especially when it comes down to spending and ownership being an issue that I don't see that changing, it was mm-hmm. hard for me to put them – Higher, I think maybe you see it a little differently where you really respect what they've done from a basketball ops standpoint, but they have this impediment of ownership. I think that's clear to me. Yeah. Oh, so the other thing I left out about, about the Nuggets uh, on the medical side, they've made some money, it seems, on selecting medical cases in the draft and rehabbing them and getting them to the point where they can be really highly contributing players. Uh Malik Beasley got red flagged by a lot of teams, uh, missed a bunch of time at the beginning of his rookie year. Now they have, they've, you know, turned him into a rotation player. Uh, Michael Porter was an injury case. Uh, Bull Bull was an injury case. Gary Harris got red flagged by a couple teams. Uh, you know, he's obviously become a pretty productive starter for them. Uh, so I, I think they've, they're doing something right there on the, uh, on the medical side as well. Yeah, and I think their trade record is just okay, right? The the Nurkic for Plumlee trade and giving up a first rounder. That yeah, that one was a little rough. Yeah, can't can't argue that. Um, you know they've had some good trades, and again, I mean, obviously the finding Nikola Jokic in the draft there was amazing. Nurkic, Harris, I mean, these are all really good picks. The also they traded. Remember, they traded down and took Nurkic and Harris, and Chicago traded up to take Doug McDermott. Yeah, they also traded down from Donovan Mitchell to uh, Tyler White. <laughs> and, and to the, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they also sold the pick that became Rudy Gobert again. That's pre, or no, actually Connolly was there by that point. That was 2013 draft. So Which which uh, pick? Oh, the Rudy Gobert. Ch- yeah, yeah, you're right. That's why Rudy Gobert yeah. wears number 27. They, yeah, to go from 27 to 46. You're right. You're right. Um, And yeah, I mean, that was the last first rounder that was pretty much like just straight up sold. Um, we kind of saw that this year with the Kevin Porter pick. Anyway, that, that's enough on them. Uh, take another quick break here and we'll talk about the rest of these uh, teams that we have uh, some disagreements on. So you don't have Houston and Golden State in the top tier the way I do. Let's let start me, with let me, Houston. Let me tackle Houston because this one's really yeah. easy. I would have had them in tier one before Tillman Fertitta bought the team. <laughs> yeah, and 
I think I got a ton of respect for them. The number of games they've won, the fact that they rebuilt without being bad. I mean, that is so hard to do. I agree with all that. I mean, and then for Tita, just the cash poorness, which is only going to get worse now if they lost all this revenue from China. Mark Stein reported they lost $25 million in revenue from China. And Fertitta already was really struggling to uh, to pay the bills. I mean, you, you reported that thing about Russell Westbrook reworking his contract, presumably because they just didn't have yeah. the cash on hand. Yeah, they even they changed the payments on his contract to make a, a better cash flow situation, which you basically never see. And uh, yeah, exactly, that's exactly presumably why they did that. Uh, you've you've seen that in some of their. Uh, you know, just just operationally, uh, just seems like a tighter place than than it used to be. Uh, just just in terms of the resources they're willing to to put into things, and then uh, obviously the stuff with the coaching staff this summer was very weird. Uh, and at the same time, you, you know, you wonder how much Tillman's hand was behind a, a couple of these moves. Um, I I'm still not sure how I feel about the Westbrook for Paul trade. Like I. I it's hard for me to kill it, but at the same time, it, it didn't feel organic to what they had been trying to do before then either. Uh, so uh, th- that that was a little odd. And then extending Eric Gordon, uh, you know, based on early season performance, they might end up really regretting that one. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I think Fertitta has created a moral hazard now for Daryl Moore. I mean, I, I know Daryl a little bit. I'm not basing this on anything that I have heard. This is just me surmising. But he's operating differently now, I think, and I think he maybe realizes that he's not going to be there in a few years because that Gordon extension, you mentioned that, uh, but you know, you keep him around maybe for next year and, and you might get good value in that contract next year, but then the, the last three years are going to be rough. Uh, the picks that they gave up for Westbrook way out into the future, Westbrook's contract way out in the future. I mean, they are not set up for success a few years from now and maybe that's defensible they're going all in now to these last couple of years uh, of James Harden being James Harden but uh, you throw that but in they're go- but, but they're yeah. going they're going all in with a closed wallet <laughs> yeah. you know like and you could see that last year i mean they tore their they tore their bench down just to get out of the tax and they yeah. got you know like they just gave away James Ennis like he's a useful player you know how much he'd help them right now instead of playing like yeah. you know Ben McLemore or somebody if you had James Ennis off your bench I, I I don't know. So anyway, that's why that's why I you know I have a lot of respect for that front office and what they've done over the last several years. But yeah, I couldn't I couldn't the Tillman factor. I couldn't I couldn't keep them in tier one. I had to knock them down to tier three. Yeah, and, and I've got them in two, and they could very well be even lower. I mean, this is uh, I'm very concerned uh, about them. But hey, at least they have enough money to make sure that Tillman Fertitta's uh, face is the biggest one on the mural outside the locker room, rather than you know James Harden or, or Russell Westbrook's. Really, I did not know that. <laughs> oh yeah, it's hilarious. Like, wow, that's that's <laughs> awesome. I gotta. I he's gotta, he's I completely gotta, insane. I gotta get a trip to Houston uh, booked pronto here. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I'm gonna shut up and listen now to you talk about your ranking of the Golden State Warriors. I wrestled with this one, and I, I wasn't sure whether to have them in two or three. Um, you know, obviously they did a great job pulling together the dynasty. The Draymond Green pick was awesome. They kind of had Curry already, but the uh, uh, I believe Bob made the Thompson pick though, right? And yep. uh, they, uh, you know, they put it all together. They they knocked the coach hire out of the park, and that took some that took some courage to replace Mark yep. Jackson after a pretty successful season. 
and and, and I think Jackson her. was the right coach for where they were early on too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And sometimes, see, people don't get that because they just have two boxes for coaches: good coach and bad coach. And right. that's not how it is. It's a, it's a, you know, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's an, it's a whole array of uh, strengths and weaknesses. And Kerr brought different things to the table at that time than Jackson did. And they, Jackson kind of got them to a point where Kerr was the better coach for them from that point forward, as unfair as it sounds. So the, the thing with the Warriors, obviously, you got to dock them for what that roster looks like right now. I mean, oh, I yeah. know, I know they had some handcuffs on, but come on, man. Like, well, they put their, <laughs> I mean, the injuries, uh, well, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot a lot of things to complain about it at this point in time. One thing I did want to say, we can talk about that in a second. One thing I do want to give them credit for, willingness to spend, and also just the fact that they're able to get an arena built in San Francisco. I mean, if you live here, you know how impossible it is to build anything in the Bay Area. And now they're going to have $700 million in annual revenue, and they can basically spend whatever they want to now. It, you know, I assume they're going to do that. And they do appear forward. willing to spend that money that yes. they will rake in too. So yeah. that, that's I mean, an important yeah. consideration. Yeah, as long as, long as they're in uh, reasonable contention here. And, and they're, they'll make plenty of money this year when they're only $6 million over the tax. Um, and they won't be going any higher than that, that's for sure. Um, but I really think, you know, they have not – they also have a very small organization – uh, I think that they've had some defections that they haven't replaced, and a lot of people have left over money. Uh, they've had a ton of turnover in the medical staff. I yeah, don't that's that that there. part's been a concern. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Doctor, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, Doctor Rick, uh, as where his PR yes. li- yeah. likes to call him, um, it, pointing out that he has a, a PhD, but you know, obviously, the KD thing was uh, totally botched. Um, at least from a PR standpoint, if not like an actual medical standpoint. Um, so, so that's an issue. Their player development has really lagged over the last few years. They have not developed some of the, even some of these guys who looked like they had promise initially as second round picks did not get better under their watch. And I think, you know, just watching the stuff that they do in practice and before games, they're just, okay, just go out there. Let's take some shots. You know, it's kind of, there's not a huge player development stuff. They have upgraded that this year yeah. with more of a development emphasis but hey where was that when you needed those cheap contributors to keep the dynasty going um you, you, then, re- you yeah. really saw the impact of that in the finals last year when they needed Oof. some of those secondary guys to play for them and they just couldn't yeah and they did cheap out a little bit last year too i mean they had 14 guys through most of the year they kept marcus derrickson instead of kendrick nunn on a two-way probably wouldn't have been uh my choice there uh and, yes. and derrickson just you know is one of those guys who just was never going to work out as a player in the nba without athleticism and then there's the Russell signing. So I actually was okay with that. And I think you're going to see why a year from now. Because if you lose KD, for, if you have money to shoot out of a fire hose, and a year from now, you can you see if KD goes, you can't, you can't do anything with that, with that salary slot once you're already at the, at the cap. But if you take back a large salary, then you can use that in a trade. And if you convert Igadala into an exception, then you can come back the next year and have like a hundred eighty-five million dollar roster if you want, where you couldn't if KD had just walked. Now you could argue there are other ways to do that. You could have just tried to create a mammoth trade exception for KD. Yeah. I guess would be the would be the other way to maybe do that. But what are, what are you taking in at that point? Like I, I don't I don't know if you're getting anything better than 
are you really going to do better than Russell out of that, out of a trade exception? Like who's the best player who's been dealt in a trade exception deal? Now you could argue, you could turn around and argue against myself that they could have a first round pick in the future, but I think they're still in win now mode with that team they have. And a 2024 first round pick probably doesn't carry a ton of value in that perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought Memphis fleeced them to get such low protection on that pick and have it be out far enough where yeah. they're probably not going to be good anymore in 2024. You know, only one through four protected mm-hmm. for salary dumping a useful player last summer. I mean, so, and that's all part of the cost of the Russell trade too, because they had to get under the hard cap. Um, you know, and again, you can say, hey, they weren't going to win anything this year. Clay was probably going to miss the whole year regardless. What's the point of having Iguodala around? I get that. But then having to give up a pick to move on from him, and then you give up another one in the Russell sign and trade, which, you know, if they had everyone had been healthy, maybe that pick would have had to go to the top 20 protected at Brooklyn. And you get a player in Russell who, to me, I mean, you say, you could you get someone better than Russell? I think I could get someone who's a better fit. Like Russell, if you're trying to really win at the highest levels, I think he doesn't work. He's more of a floor raiser, get you into the playoffs when you don't have anyone else type of guy at best. Um, I was going to say that theory is about to be tested. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The the floor is a little low right now. Well, hey, Eric Paschal. Uh, But so that one to me is like you did all this to sign someone to a bad contract. And we'll see. Maybe there still will be demand for Russell around the league, and they'll get something for him, and I'll be wrong. Um, and also, you know, I think they, they really punted on this year in a way that they didn't need to. Now Curry is injured, so we conveniently forget that they were going to suck this year when they could have at least won 50 games. Like, that's not meaningless to be, like, a 50-win team, and maybe Clay yeah. comes back and you can make some noise in the playoffs. That's uh, You know, point. that was the road not traveled so that they could get Russell. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean... I have them higher than you, and I've been shitting on them this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I, we, uh, we sound like a little bit in agreement. Yeah. So, but but I, 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 yeah, I just have. I think I'm just waiting what they've done before this, um, sure. and I think they are making needed improvements. Maybe it was a year or two too late. Yeah. So there are three teams that I didn't hear you mention: uh, Jazz, Blazers, and Pacers that I have in my tier two. Yeah. So Jazz, I have right up there as well. I also throw OKC and Brooklyn into my next tier as being very solid organizations, really good process stuff around them. I was surprised that you weren't higher on Brooklyn, actually. Um, but I want to hear why had, you're so high on the Pacers. Okay. Um, just They've just been consistently solid, in my opinion. They've they've drafted fairly well. They made a nice trade for Oladipo. They've they've had organizational stability. The Simon's reputation as owners is uh, pristine in terms of, uh, you know, they don't put their hands in the pie and they yeah. uh, they give their they're patient with their with their front office people. Like pe- people in Indiana stay there forever, right? Yeah. I mean, when was the last time somebody actually got fired in in Indiana? They let Frank Vogel go as head coach, I guess, but yeah. they, even that, I mean, he'd been there a while, so. Uh, I think there's a lot of stability, a lot of patience. Um, you know, I'm, are they like a top drawer organization in some of these respects? Probably not. If you're ranking who's the best at X and Y and Z, uh, the the one thing you could reasonably ding them on, I think, is on the medical side. The Oladipo case was a little weird, um, oh, yeah. and a little and a little troubling. Uh, so the, probably maybe a little medieval in that department, and. Uh, Leeches being deployed on <laughs> right. 
<laughs> but I think, you know, almost every year they come out of the draft with a nice player. And I, I just I just think it's they've done a very, very solid job without having any like superstar talents roll through there. They're never gonna pay the tax. That's one. I think you're right about that. Uh, no matter where they are. Uh, and I mean, I think we saw that that they made some tax avoiding moves uh, back when they actually even were a contender in the 13, 14 mm-hmm. range. Um, so that's one, I think uh, why I would ding them there. I think they certainly, they have do things a lot differently than uh, in terms of their assessment of players than I would. Um, a lot of times I've hated their moves and they've worked out pretty well, but I think some other times it, you know, if you go back to like the team that they put together in like the 14, 15, 15, 16 range where, you know, trading George Hill for Jeff Teague or signing Monte Ellis to a big contract. And then for some reason they stretched him just, you know, uh, instead of just taking the hit in a year when they weren't going to be competing. Um, you know, they did great in the George trade, but I also at the time, I mean, they, nobody knew that Oladipo was going to be that good or even that Sabonis was either. I think they, at the time, those assets weren't considered that good. And while they turned them into something, you know, to not get like a first rounder out of Oklahoma City in that trade or, or you know, it seemed like a very unequal trade at the time, even though it did work out really well for them. Yeah, I agree with you on the drafting. You know, McMillan is kind of, he's kind of an okay head coach to me and he has some underrated strengths, but also, you know, they play a lot of mid-range ball. Now they're doing this two bigs together thing. Uh, you know, I, I just have them kind of middle of the pack. I mean, they, and okay. They, okay, and also like a, a total unwillingness to rebuild there too. I mean, you you kind of wonder just what the vision was in even with. I think Oladipo. they, I think yeah, they right. thought they were rebuilding after the George trade, and Oladipo was so good that they didn't. Yeah, but they were still trying to win like thirty five games that year, though it seemed like they they made some moves to sign guys where. It, you know, I had them winning. I think I picked them for like 33 wins. Yeah, they got to like to 48 or whatever it was, uh, that season, but they were, it wasn't like the teardown to where you're actually going to like get a high enough pick to get the next superstar on your team either, especially as under the rules as they were at that time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I respect a lot of the things that they did, but I think they have like some very clear negatives. Like I wouldn't, I would have Brooklyn OKC, uh, definitely higher than them. Okay. Okay. We'll talk about Brooklyn and OKC in a second. Uh, first, okay, why do you hate Utah? I don't. I have them in the very solid group. Um, it, it, maybe that slipped past. I didn't mention it. But, no, I think they're clearly, uh, you know, a top 10-ish organization to me. Okay. You know, I had them in the same. Utah, OKC, Brooklyn, and then Dallas and Portland. I had a little bit below them, but probably realistically in the same tier. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I had so my tier two, I had the Jazz and Blazers in there. Again, just very solid, pretty good player development track records, pretty good draft records. Um, haven't always knocked trades and ancillary moves out of the park, but generally it's pretty solid, pretty stable. The owners are out of the way. The GMs do a pretty good job. Uh, you know, Portland, O'Shea's been a good midseason trader generally. Uh, obviously, Rob Denver and that Nurkic deal we talked about. Uh, Utah, I think, has has been more um, – th- their off-seasons and drafts have tended to be pretty good. Uh, we'll see how it works out with this year's crew. Uh, so I just uh, – you know, there's – now Portland obviously gets an advantage too because they're willing to spend money. Yeah. And uh, more, more, more so than Utah probably. 
So uh, that's why that's why I had those teams there. And again, you know, their track record of success in the West, where it's uh, significantly harder. I I think that speaks well for them, even though they're not like magnet cities for superstars to come to. Yeah, and obviously getting Mitchell and Gobert at thirteen and twenty-seven. Uh, guys who were undervalued by a, a lot of other teams is pretty good their higher picks haven't worked out as well trey burke and Dante yeah, Exum. burke and Exum, yeah those those are misses that that hurt them without a doubt yeah i, I was a big Exum fan at the time too it, maybe things would have been different for him without the injuries but it's hard to argue that he would have been like some big star that they were hoping for there do you think utah would be willing to spend i mean it hasn't necessarily made sense for them to do that they did have a curious just not using the mid-level exception last year but uh i mean do you think if they if it really came to it they would go into the tax uh i'm questionable uh, it ha- it's it's an untested theory right now because they they haven't been in that position in a long time you know since stockton malone where you could really say like hey you know if we go into the tax right now like we could really you know have have an awesome team i think we'll we'll find out when mitchell's extension kicks in yeah because he's going to get the max, right? And that's going to change all their numbers. If he gets that extension and Gobert stays and is on a max, they're probably going to be a tax team or close to it. And then we'll really find out their true colors on willingness to spend. Yeah, but I agree with you. I mean, to survive the Hayward thing uh, and still be uh, arguably better is pretty remarkable. Uh, and so, and I think the, their coach hire was an inspired one. Quinn Satter, to me, is one yep. of the best. Yep. They've really empowered him. So I, I'm... Uh, I'm definitely a fan of the organization for sure. It's just, you know, they haven't really gotten into the top tier yet. Uh, Portland is an interesting one to me. If it weren't for that disastrous 2016 offseason, which, you know, Myers Leonard, Evan Turner, oh, we're going to play him at point guard. I mean, that was just one of these things where you're like, this is going to be a disaster from the get-go. I, I think that that was yeah. very easy to predict for me. Yep. Um, so, I mean, a lot of teams made some mistakes in, in that offseason. Um, you know, they've also been a little liberal with the extensions as well. Uh, um, you didn't like CJ's deal? I'm sorry. You didn't like CJ's deal? No, I mean, honestly, I'm not even sure that I like Lillard's deal. Start wow. kicking in at age 31, starting two years from now, going out to like age 35. And that could really hamstring the franchise. It, you know, they still would have had him for another year. And I, I mean, this year could go really poorly for them. And then it's like, where the hell are you? So. Yeah, I just think when you're in a market like that, you you lock the guy down. You just you you just lock him up, and uh, you know that there's that he's so connected to Oakland, and that if anything goes wrong in that interviewing year, intervening year, then he's one year out and can start looking at greener pastures. Like there, there's the the risk reward on that to me still tilted in favor of given the contract, even if it overvalues him in the out years, because the cost of losing him would be so significant. You know, I, I mean, maybe that's true. And you probably can always trade him in the next couple of years if you need to. But I mean, why not, why not just keep the guy for the next two years when he's actually going to be worth his contract? And then you can reevaluate it at that time. I mean, I do think that there's this feeling of like, you're just too worried about losing someone, but like, Losing thirty-one, the chance to pay thirty-one-year-old Dame Lillard fifty million a year. I mean, that's like I don't know that I'm that worried about that. I mean, I think you're probably going to be in a, a time where you have to move somewhere else anyway. And hey, I mean, you could still offer him the most money as of that time. I mean, maybe he's going to be pissed at you, I guess. But but ultimately, I think like that's not going to make the difference if you have a good team 
and he wants to stay and you can offer him the money, he's going to stay. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I mean, I, I do think it's like, you know, if you're kind of in job preservation mode, it's better to keep him, but I'm still, to me, I, I'm a little bit worried about it. And if everything's going well, you could give him the, the five-year deal a year from now instead of waiting until two years out. It's just too much uncertainty to me to give a 31-year-old player that kind of a contract when you don't have to. But, uh, I mean, I, I understand the other viewpoint as well. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, the, the, the ones that bothered me more was the, uh, was the Myers Leonard extension, obviously, because I think that oh, was, yeah. uh, that was doubling down on a failed bet, right? That, yeah, that, that there was clearly one vision of what he was going to be based on where they drafted him and everything. And yeah, I just, think that, that it was just a was not happening, contract, actually, you know? But yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't good. Who else was offering him that money? <laughs> I'm not sure. But hey, you know, he's starting for a playoff team right now in Miami. Maybe he just was underutilized there the whole time. Uh, who else do we? All right, let's talk about Brooklyn. Let's talk about Brooklyn. Actually, that's. Uh, I had them in the third tier. Um, I just, you know, they they've done the right things to get to the point where they are, but I think they still have to show that they can that they can win consistently, like some of these other teams have that I have ahead of them. Um, I think I'd, it's fair to ding them for the uh, Alan Crab saga. Literally everyone in the Western Conference was banging their heads on the table when they found out they let Portland out of jail with that uh, trade. Oh yeah, that was really bad, and then it cost them a first rounder to get off of him. Yeah, yeah. And but it, I think that's really the only thing I can point to that's been a bad move for them since the Marks took over. That's true, but they haven't had to make that many moves, right? It's all been asset collection. They've made yeah. some good bets on the fringes and done a great job in development, taking these guys like. Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie and turning them into viable NBA players, like awesome in that respect. Uh, they've done they've done a fantastic job there. They're obviously stable. We'll see how they are under Joe Sy, um, the the new owner. I think he's a little bit of a question mark there. I do think there's a willingness to spend. well, not not for the Chinese government. That yeah. he's he's rock solid for them. <laughs> He is in lockstep. Don't don't you worry about that. He, he yes he will he will stay on message. <laughs> I, I don't wow. know. You might be you might be a little uninformed about the situation though, John. It's this is a third rail issue. <laughs> it's, oh, tell me. Oh my god. It's a, it's a... Please please re reeducate me. <laughs> um. But uh, overall, though, I mean, it does seem like they're willing to spend. They, the moves that they've made portend that they're going to be in the tax. They've nailed picks uh, at 20 and 22 with Lavert and Allen uh, and, again, developed them. I think medically, just playing guys very few minutes overall, like that's they've really been They're another step. team that's actually made some made some hay on medical cases. Uh, yep. Lavert got red flagged by teams. Uh, we'll see what uh, – Karuks was a guy who was hurt all the time in Spain – um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Musa, who probably hasn't been as, uh, effective from his draft slot, had a lot of medical concerns. We'll see how that goes with him, but they're, they're definitely a team that's been, that's been willing to take on those cases and trust their medical staff and is, and got, got great re- results with Levert, certainly. And, uh, we'll see. I mean, even Spencer Dinwiddie, honestly, was coming off an ACL when he came out of college. Yeah. And, and the Russell trade it worked out for them eventually as well. You know, that, that got them to respectability so that they could entice Kyrie and, and KD and, uh, DeAndre Jordan to, to come. Um, Kenny yeah. Atkinson looks like he was a really good coach hire. I, they've got a lot of coordination there with him as well. So yeah, they, they do have to take the next step now. And as you mentioned, 
know, they don't have that much of a track record, but there's been a lot. I mean, considering what they did, having no, none of their own draft picks and being bad. And like some of these teams that do have their own draft picks every year, like can't get out of their own way. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. I, that's very impressive to me. I mean, I yeah. can easily they start, see that. They started from an asset-free situation uh, <laughs> as probably the most hopeless situation a new front office has come on into in some time and have, have made something of it. So, yeah, they yeah, deserve yeah. a lot of credit for that. I, who is the Cavs GM in, like, 1984? <laughs> like, like that's probably the only company. <laughs> right, right. Like, uh, but at least they had to petition the league to just give them more first-round picks because Stepien uh, was so bad. Uh, Brooklyn did not benefit from that. Um, how about OKC? A con- uh, probably a controversial one. I put them in Tier 3. Uh Greatest three-year draft run in NBA history. Not a whole lot since then. Yeah, I I think they've actually. Well, in terms, of, you're talking about just in terms of the draft. Yeah, in terms of draft, in terms of uh, you know player moves, they've signed some bad contracts. Uh, they made some bets that didn't really pay off, and the you know they kind of bring in a certain type of player all the time. It seems like the kind of wiry, low-skill guy and keep thinking they can turn that guy into a player. And, uh, you know, Jeremy Grant worked out, and I think otherwise it's been like a 100% fail rate. I can't can't think of any other examples. Yeah. I mean, Robertson turned out to be a good player. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. He's he's the other one. But but they certainly didn't improve his skill level. I mean, he was... Right, right. Yeah. Um, But, no, it's so weird for me because they did a great job of establishing a culture... You know, I think the the overall organization there, people are, are very complimentary. Maybe they're a little bit too buttoned up, but it, Sam Presti had this awesome run, and then starting on uh, you know what is it October twenty fifth of twenty twelve, instantly lost his touch and was terrible for like four straight years. Like the waiters and Cantor trades when they finally decided to push in. That was really bad. Obviously, the Harden trade. They did draft Stephen Adams. That was pretty good. Uh, with uh, I think he was the twelfth overall pick a, in twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. That was that was a nice pick. Um, and then as soon as KD left, I think they turned it around and they did. Pretty, I mean, that George trade was a coup at the time. I mean, Oladipo and Sabonis turned out to be pretty good, but no one thought they were any good at the time. Right. Uh, yeah. Although yeah. part of the reason nobody thought Sabonis was good because of the player development fail with him and with uh, Jeremy Lamb before him. I mean, they just had Sabonis yeah. hanging out at the three-point line the, yeah. the whole time he was in Oak City, and uh, you know, and that just wasn't what he was he was there to do. So, I, yeah. you know, I think he was part of the reason it was perceived as a good deal is because they had lowered Sabonis's value so much. Yeah, and Oladipo too. I mean, he in a lot of ways took a step, and part of that, you know, is Russell Westbrook as well. I mean, uh, being uh, maybe a guy who, and the just the spacing around those guys too was really bad. So I'm, uh, you know, the coaching hire of Donovan. I mean, I think moving on from Brooks at the time that he did took some balls, but I don't know that Donovan was necessarily the guy to reach Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Um, but I feel I think like I feel like I yeah. still don't know if he's a good coach or not. Yeah, but well, they're they're off to a decent start this year. Maybe we'll find out. Um, but I thought the George trade and the Westbrook trades were really, really good. Um, and they've been willing yeah. to spend as well. You know, people thought they did they traded Harden because of that. Given the amount that they're willing to spend in later years, maybe you could say Bennett learned his lesson, or maybe you could say that it wasn't necessarily a tax focused move, even though that's how it was spun at the time. So they're definitely willing to to spend. 
Um, they've made some bad trades, like taking on Schroeder was not great. But, I mean, I thought the, the Clippers deal was just such both Cl- visionary. Massive, yeah. yeah, massive coup on that on that trade yeah. and realizing that they that, that was their time to hit the reset button. And what they got out of that was obviously tremendous. Yeah, they definitely have some very clear weaknesses to me. But I think if just if you ask around the league too, of just you know their incredibly professional approach, um, just how respected the people in their front office are. You know those guys get interviews all the time. Michael Winger was really in demand. Troy Weaver gets interviews all the time. So they, it seems like people around the league respect what they're doing a lot. Yeah, I think so. And they've been willing to invest in other. I mean, they've already built two new practice facilities since they've been in OKC. Like there, there's definitely a willingness to spend from ownership that's been. Uh, a wind at their back and at the same time they haven't seemed to interfere with what sam's doing at all yeah um miami yeah miami they're an interesting one right they're like pretty defined strengths and weaknesses i think as you go through it uh strong organizational culture obviously starting starting from riley uh very stable with uh spolstra andy ellisberg everyone in miami has been there forever um Maybe a little too stable. Like they're. <laughs> um, hey, they, they hired my uh, my former uh, director of basketball research, Liam Doyle. So they uh, they made a big addition to. Uh, oh wow! To the okay. Okay. Well, they also brought in Shane Battier. I think it was two years ago. Yeah. So they have added a couple people. The um, I'd, I'd say they're still a little medieval on the on the player uh, health and medical front. Uh, they've had pretty high injury rates. They don't really do any of the load management stuff. It's going to be interesting to see how that works out. Well, they also like get their guys into awesome shape. Well, yeah, I mean, that's been until they get injured. Yeah. Yeah. That's been, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That's, that's been their, their history and their, their point of pride is that, is that they do that, but there's, there's a cost to, to the way they do it. And it's going to be interesting to see how that works with a player like Jimmy Butler, who has had some knee issues in the past and, and how they manage that. Uh, obviously that, uh, that summer they went all in on average hurts their ranking. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. did the such la- a- lack of vision, I think is probably their biggest issue at this point. And that's, you know, maybe that's uh, again, some of the danger with Pat Riley being in his seventies, being in charge. Yeah. The, I mean, the vision is definitely not to, not to try to rebuild yeah. and, but, but they sure had great vision nine years ago when they, when they got the, the big three. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think we're getting into, into a time now where you kind of diminish that and look at the more recent track record. Yeah, the, the, that's fair to note. I mean, they do have a pretty good coach there. The the organizational philosophy overall, another organization where if you just talk to people around the league, they seem to really respect them. Adam Simon does a great job with their G League. They probably have the best G League to NBA pipeline. They got another guy out of that, Duncan Robinson, this year. They Kendrick Nunn that they brought him in. They they've, find that's always been a Riley thing, too. It's weird. He doesn't care about draft picks, but he's always going to try to find these guys. Going back to the CBA when he was with the Knicks and they got John Starks and Anthony Mason out of there. Um, always trying to find the the undrafted guys and those kind of grinder Rodney Magruder types who are hanging around in the, in the G League. So... That that's an area where they're really strong and where they focused a lot of their scouting efforts. Uh, but they made they made a nice pick this year too with Tyler Hero, so give them credit. Yeah, Bam Adebayo was a, a pretty good pick. Um, probably should have traded 
the pick that became Justice Winslow for that massive Boston package that supposedly was offered. There's a little demerit. The like four first round picks offer, including one of the Nets picks for Justice Winslow, uh, that that Boston made. You know, sometimes sometimes you get lucky when the other team doesn't want to do the deal. I suppose, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we don't hear about a ton of those. So yeah, I mean, I think they definitely have some weaknesses, but. Uh, their ability to make something out of nothing to me is pretty impressive. And it's just, if you could add that with a little bit more expansive of a vision mm-hmm. um, and, and say, Hey, you know, like we can create these guys. Why are we going to spend all this money re-signing Dion waiters? And we're going to yeah. create all this space for Kelly Olenek. Like we're a cap space destination and we're able to find these cheap contributors as well, who might be almost as good as these guys were paying uh, starter money to who are kind of average you know it, it would be nice if they had that approach but i think they they just they, they can't stand taking a step back uh, at this point yeah they're uh they're a free agent destination too and I, and but they i think they don't always think about how to even though uh andy ellisberg in particular is great with the cap but i just think in terms of like the big picture vision of of knowing that you're this destination how do you best take advantage of it i think it doesn't play into their thinking as much as maybe it should yeah it did at one point and now apparently and maybe you know they did have a couple of misses uh you know gordon hayward was one and then that that led to them re-signing all these guys they had to kind of promise them big money in the if he doesn't sign here uh approach or or contingency um they also had to uh they were like the uh you know when you run through the supermarket with the cart where you only have 60 seconds on the clock? <laughs> yeah. uh, th- so they had 48 hours to match Tyler Johnson's offer sheet, which uh, took took him from a cap hold to like a max. And so they were going to lose all this cap room if they didn't sign a bunch of guys. So I, th- I yeah. think that led to some decisions that maybe they, they look back on and would say, you know, it would have been yeah. so awful if we had just let Tyler Johnson go to Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's actually one thing we didn't talk about with Brooklyn is how many times they got saved by teams matching their offer sheets. Now, maybe they just knew those offer sheets would get matched, but, I mean, the Crab offer sheet was terrible, and then they traded for them. The mm-hmm. Johnson offer sheet was not good. The yep. Porter offer sheet was not good either. And at that point in time, it was kind of like, what, you know, you're, you're doing that for guys that they're able to find pretty cheap equivalents for, ultimately. That's another one where, hey, the move that you wanted to do didn't work out and they were much luckier for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe they do deserve a ding there when you're trying to talk about the repeatability. Um, but they won't be making any restricted free agent offer sheets for some time. All right. So we got a, a few minutes left here. Mm-hmm. Any other organizations that really stuck out to you that you wanted to talk about here that we're still looking at kind of the top half of the league? So the, so there were two teams I had in tier three that I don't think we mentioned yet. Okay. Um, I had the Mavs and I had the Sixers. I'm much lower on the Sixers than, than you are. Let's talk about them. Okay. I, uh, the, the Sixers troubled me. I, I wasn't sure exactly where to go. Obviously it's a new front office or relatively new. They've reaped so many rewards from the process that it gets hard to rank them just on their own merits. Um, I do think they've done at least a halfway decent job of, pulling those resources together to try to make a championship team right now because Joel Embiid, they probably see as a ticking clock and they're probably right. Yep. So uh, to, so to maximize that right now, 
Uh, I thought they made a pretty solid trade for Butler, even though even though he ended up leaving. They didn't yeah, give up. A, they didn't give up a ton. Obviously, they overpaid for Tobias Harris twice, twice. basically, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> once on the trade, and then once in in free agency. Uh, but they were able to manage things well enough on the Butler front to do a pretty good deal to keep themselves at that championship level uh, by getting Richardson in the in the uh, in the sign and trade. I thought their like their minimums and end of the bench moves have mostly been pretty decent. Um, they've definitely spent overspent in terms of draft capital, um, and there's been some weird stuff there where. You would think they'd get to this situation. They'd be sitting on all these future seconds. Just lump a few in and get, you know, get some back end rotation guys who can really help you. And they haven't really done a lot of that. Uh, and they sold the no, second last year. I mean, they, they lost sold the Toronto series. Yeah. They sold the second last year, which was weird. Yeah. They had six centers and none of them were playable. It's like you can't, you can't get in that situation. So definitely ding them for that. But I also think there's some, some positives there. They've stuck by Brett Brown, who I think has done a good job there. Uh, so, you know, not like I teetered between three and four, but as I sized it up, I had to put them a little ahead of the teams in four. I have them as a below average organization. And okay. I mean, they have one hiring Hinky initially and following that vision was great, but then they fired the guy, which is ridiculous. Like that's the enti- one of the, probably- the entire episode with post Hinky and into bringing in Colangelo to hire his son and all that was completely absurd. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, Hinky was doing an awesome job. Yeah. There's like a few bad PR things, but you know, you can get around that. Um, and he won every, tr- the guy won every trade that he did basically. Right. And yeah. Okay. Okafor wasn't a great pick, but Embiid certainly was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe the Okafor thing really hurt him, but you know that was, it was seemed like it was just all PR at, at that point, and they were poised to, to take a step forward as soon as the MB got healthy. You know, they didn't know that that was going to happen. That was looking like it was maybe a wasted pick at the time when he got fired late in 2015. But to bring in Jerry Colangelo, who then hired his son after a pretty farcical process, and oh uh, yeah, you know his son, uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe it wasn't the right hire. Um, you know, I think like it, I thought Colangelo blew a bunch of stuff before he then uh, had this crazy Twitter issue that we still may never know the full story on, but certainly deserves a ton of culpability for that. And then I agree with you. The Butler trade was good. I thought the Harris trade to also have to give up picks and give up Landry Shamit in this deal. You know, how much better would they look if they just still had Landry Shamit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I also just don't point. think like Harris to me, he's just not that guy for them. He's, he's not that great defensively. He doesn't really have a single premium skill. You can't put the ball in his hands late in games in pick and roll to also not get back some depth pieces in that deal as well. And then that's what killed them in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, they maybe thought they were going to get someone in the buyout market. They didn't. And they just didn't have enough wings in the playoffs. They didn't have uh, enough at backup center. You know, you're relying like Boban at, in, in the playoffs, which is just not going to work. Don't forget um, Greg Monroe. Yeah. I, I think it's just, <laughs> they, they've had so much, like this is one where like they started with these incredible riches. Then they immediately got the number one pick with Ben Simmons. Obviously, we didn't talk about the Fultz trade, which I liked at the time. I'll be fair. But, I mean, looking back on it, it obviously was a disaster. And there were some red flags with Fultz yeah. that I wasn't aware of. That wasn't this. Fred. That was still Colangelo, though. 
Well, yeah, okay, but that's, I mean, they hired Colangelo, right? I mean, I think that their, their ownership is, uh, you know, it, it goes back to that. I mean, it's just still the same guys at the top who fired Hinky, mm-hmm. hired Colangelo, and then, you know, Elton Brand, to me, is, like, not particularly qualified at, at this point in time with, like, a year and a half in a front office. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, like, kind of a safe hire, right? And I yeah. mean, they brought in Mark Eversley, who's, who's been a few different places and done a pretty good job. Um, they have some other people there, but, um, they, yeah, I, you did, I had a hard time with them. <laughs> there's, there's some, yeah. there's some pluses and some minuses. And, uh, I wasn't, yeah. uh, I mean, but like what, I think I put out some pretty severe minuses. I mean, what are like, other than the analytics, they put me a big investment in analytics, uh, at least according to the hagiography and the, Philadelphia Inquirer last mm-hmm. year, um, you know, $3 million analytics staff or whatever it was. Yeah, they, um, they have a pretty good investment in terms of their uh, their scouting infrastructure. And they're like, they've definitely been willing to spend on the team and on the on the resources yeah. there on the health side, um, on the uh, uh, on the scouting side, uh, on the on the analytics front. So new I, practice facility. Yeah. So, I, you know, I do think there's been a, a commitment from ownership there. Uh, that's that's been pretty strong and pretty impressive, and uh, they're you know they they hit on a coach and they stayed with him, and yeah. and I think that's been that's been good. There was there were some questions, especially um, maybe two years ago, whether they were going to do that, and uh, and they they've stuck by uh, Brett Brown, and they've been able to keep uh, Joel Embiid in one piece, which is obviously the most important thing. Yeah, he might be in like three quarters of a piece. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, we'll see. I mean, he, he, like at the start of last year, they played him way too much and then he got tendonitis and that really hampered him down the end. So I was, I, I thought that that was, it's it just, it's always something with these guys too. You know, like there's always some drama, some weird thing going on. And some of that might be bad luck, but I think some of it is uh, the organization as well. Um, so I mean I think I I have them as a, a slight negative, you know, in the post Hinky era, given where they're coming from. Uh, I mean, you pointed out some positive things, but I think overall, like the negatives have outweighed the positives uh, to uh, a, a fair degree. I guess a lot of it depends. Since Colangelo, I think they've been better. Like that, I thought was almost a disastrous mm-hmm. rain. But I mean, the process by which they hired him was ridiculous. Can't argue that. Um. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're also might make the finals this year. So it's like, and, and I mean, the Bucks, who I'm sure we'll talk about next time, would be another, I'm sure, kind of controversial one in that regard, where you're like, hey, they're the best team in the East. Like, how are they not in the top? Sixers, the Bucks, and Lakers team? might end up with the three best records this year. <laughs> We're going to yeah. have them all, you know, midpoint or below. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, this is fun. You want to get us out of here, and we'll uh, we'll do the rest of the league next week. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Thanks again, everyone. And be sure to subscribe to us on uh, iTunes, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, for Nate Duncan, this is John Hollinger from The Athletic. And thanks again for, uh, for joining us. And we'll do the second half of this real soon. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. 
It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.